Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. But you also had people that were very fine people. Very fine people on both sides. And the, and the aliens would mind meld and give them the technology. They're bad aliens. So the, uh, Are you surprised the Nazis were influenced by demons? No, if demons are real, I would definitely think they'd be on the side of the Nazis. Yeah. McDonald's is connected to the Clintons. They chop up the bodies and put them into the sausage and hamburgers. People are being cannibalized. Look it up. And I'm watching CNN talk about this as violent white nationalist protests. We have done everything in our power to keep this peaceful, you know? It's uh, Pepe's become kind of a symbol. Welcome to Yeah Na Pasaran, a show about fascism and its gravediggers. I'm Cam Smith. I'm Andy Fleming. And joining us this week on the show is Dr. Katerina Froyo, the author of Casa Pound Italia. Thanks for joining us, Katerina. Hi, Cam. Thanks a lot for having me. Hi, Andy. I guess just to begin with, could you give us the the short version of what is Casa Pound? So Casa Pound is an extreme right organization that is based in Italy. And it was, it emerged originally in 2003 with the occupation of a building in the center of Rome, close to the main train station. And it progressively transformed a lot. Over the next 20 years, Casa Pound will at times run for elections, both at the local and national level. I would qualify in the book, we qualify Casa Pound as an extreme right organization because it openly endorses ideas that are basically inspired by Italian fascism. And what was it that uh, inspired you to write a book about this group? Well, the genesis of the book is pretty special. I was doing my PhD in 2011 in Florence. And one sympathizer of Casa Pound in November 2011 shut down three Senegalese street vendors in Florence. And uh, starting from there, we we decided with my colleagues, Giorgia Bulli, Pietro Castelli-Gattinara and Matteo Albanese, who are also the co-authors of the book, we decided to dig into Casa Pound to try to understand what, what it was about. This is how we started. And so in the book, you've adopted a particular methodology in approaching how to study Casa Pound and you focus on I think five particular areas or approaches to understanding Casa Pound. Can you briefly explain to the listeners the approach that you and your co-authors adopted to the study of Casa Pound? So first of all, this is a research that lasted a long time. So we studied Casa Pound for around five years. And in order to study the group, we had to use different type of sources, if you want. So first of all, we, we, we met actually a Casabond activist. We participated as researchers to uh, some of the events they organized. And we collected a lot of material that was available online or also in the headquarters uh, of the group across Italy. And then we used basically all this material collected in five years, including music and the text of their lyrics and so forth, to analyze three main um, dimensions, I would say, of Casabond politics. The first is ideology, so the worldview of this group. The second is basically the organizational structure, so how the group is organized. And the third is mostly the the way in which the group mobilizes so in the streets but also by running to, uh, for elections and the fourth dimension is actually communication so the way in which they communicate their ideas to uh, the uh, public there is a fifth that is specifically dealing with activism and 
basically all practices that activists perform inside the group, the way in which they organize their work, the way in which they are recruited, and also the way in which they try to recruit. So it's a dimension entirely related to activism, to the way in which you become an activist inside this extreme right group, and actually how, in your turn, you will recruit or try to recruit other people. In terms of the composition of the group. I understand it began in 2003 in Rome with a squatted social centre, but during the course of the next uh, almost 20 years, it's expanded across Italy. Can you describe who uh, constitutes the membership of the group, how it spread across the country, and who does it actually attract? Indeed, Casabond was born actually from this occupation of this building in Rome in 2003. Back then, actually, it came out from an association that was an informal association It was basically a group of political activists coming from the Tricolor Flame, an extreme right party in Italy. Starting from there, actually, Casa Pound grew pretty quickly in the region of Rome, so in the centre of Italy. And in the years to come, it progressively expanded in the centre north and subsequently in the south. Today, actually, Casa Pound can count on headquarters, basically, on the entire Italian territory. And let me underline the fact that these headquarters are uh, most of the time rented places. So Casabound likes to say that they are squatting places, but actually most of the official headquarters of the group are actually legally rented places. Who is attracted by Casabound? So during our research, we tried to study a bit the social profile and demographic profiles of people who joined Casa Pound and who are part of Casa Pound. We failed to do that because we didn't get the authorization to pass uh, an official questionnaire to get this information. But from what we could observe during our five years of fieldwork, we saw that it's mostly men, ranging, let's say, between 18, 17 and 35 years old, even if you can have also people who are older than that. And in particular, this is the case of the leaders, who in general tend to be older than their activists. And it's mostly actually um, the rooting of Casa Pound. Uh, while the group expanded progressively in Italy, it remains concentrated in the central part of Italy and in particular in the in the Roma region. But from the educational point of view, differently from many others uh, far-right organizations inside Casa Pound, you have a lot of people who completed higher education and also university-level students. When you conducted your fieldwork, how did you go about convincing people to talk to you? <laughs> it's, uh, this is uh, a very important question. Well, actually, when we started our, our fieldwork in 2011, it was back then in Italy, the time of the Great Recession, right? And actually, we were mostly interested in understanding what type of answers and what type of interpretation the group had about the crisis. Of course, we wanted to study also the ideology of a contemporary extreme right group, but we knew that if we would have presented our study as such, of course, I mean, the doors would have been closed. So what we did, it was that we normally, I mean, presented the study for what it was. It was a study on a set of political groups that were basically voicing against the austerity measures that were implemented in Italy at that time. And actually, we, we didn't find any difficulty. I mean, the, the, they opened the door for us just under one condition. We could never be alone with activists. So there was always someone who was accompanying us on fieldwork. And how is Casa Pound situated? You've referred to the, the tricolour flame out of which it emerged, but what's its relationship to the broader Italian extreme and, and far right? 
That's a terrific question. So the Italian far right is really a very heterogeneous galaxy, I would say. On the one hand, uh, on the most extreme fringe of the right in Italy, you have neo-fascist organizations. So organizations that specifically voice nostalgia vis-a-vis the ideology of historical fascism, so Mussolini's uh, dictatorship. And Casabond is located there. Then you have also some fringes of the extreme right that instead are more religious, religion-oriented. And here you have parties like Forza Nuova, and that actually is pretty far from Casa Pound, that instead doesn't give specific importance to religion and to Catholicism in, in, in its campaigns. And then you have the more institutionalized part of the far right that is represented by political parties such as Brothers of Italy today and the League. In the past, instead of Brothers of Italy, you had another radical right populist party that was National Alliance. So I would say that Casabound is located at the extreme corner of the Italian far right, but it is different from other groups because it doesn't openly endorse a religious uh, vision of society or also of many, let's say, civil rights issues, like it is the case for other far right groups in Italy. And how's the group situated internationally yeah, with uh, other far-right groups both in Europe and around the world? Actually, Casabound uh, has been seen, especially from the far-right in Germany, but also in France and in Spain, as a sort of model, an inspiration. Why? Because it's one of the few far-right groups in Europe that actually tried to innovate its repertoire of action, its repertoire of contention to attract to attract uh, broader audiences, basically. And in order to do this, Casabound didn't dismiss its extreme fascist ideology. Quite the contrary, it tried to dilute it in more, let's say, pop and conventional forms of doing politics. And this is what in the book we call hybridization. In terms of uh, connections with transnational uh, far-right groups, here again it's very difficult to say, but what we could observe in our studies that while many far-right organizations in Europe look at Casabound as an example and an inspiration for its ability to innovate actually the classic codes of the extreme right, at the same time formal collaborations and formal ties between Casabound and other European organizations don't exist at the moment. Most of the exchanges occur basically through individual connections and individual collaborations. So there is nothing institutionalized. I remember in thinking about Casa Pound in the mid 2000s in Melbourne, there was a a fascist activist who adopted the name Casa Pound uh, as their online handle. So even back then, I think it's, it demonstrates that Casa Pound had a, a kind of international reach and has since, I guess, also proved to be quite an inspiration for uh, fascist groups, not only in Europe, but uh, in North America and mm-hmm. even Australia. But uh, one question that occurs to me is, what do you think it means that in the case of Casa Pound and presumably others, my impression is that for many years after the end of the Second World War, an open avowal or subscription to fascist doctrine was, uh, you know, the, the political kiss of death for political actors. What, what do you think it means that a group like Casa Pound has emerged and is, you know, not only not disavowing that fascist history, but embracing it? Do you think that's is that significant? And if so, how is it significant? That's a very interesting question. And in general, um, I agree with you that in many countries, not only in Europe, openly endorsing fascist ideologies was a bit the kiss of death 
for many um, far-right organizations. And actually, for a long time, we saw that most established political parties, for example, on the far-right, are those who tried, at least in public, to dismiss completely this nostalgia for a fascist past. Casabond did exactly the contrary. Casabond understood, in my opinion, that you need to differentiate between ideas that you can show and ideas that you can brand. So Casabond is like a brand. It's like a logo. It's like, and this is why, I mean, its model, its campaigns travel also pretty quickly outside Europe. At the same time, I think that the specific relationship with the fascist ideology that Casabound has is possible mostly only in Italy, where there is actually still a great tolerance towards fascist ideas. If you would do such a thing like Casabound does in Germany, you would be banned. In Italy, it is not the case because it is a country where there is still tolerance towards this type of extreme right ideas. So to answer to your question, I would say that it is significant for Casabound the, the reference to um, the ideology of historical fascism, but at the same time the group understood that to build support you have to differentiate between the type of ideas that you brand and the type of ideas that you practice as an activist. And therefore, the external signs of this ideology that you can see in Casabound campaigns, in the banners, in the flyers, is a very pop version of fascism, where you have icons like references to Mussolini or other symbols of the fascist architecture, for example, but inside, these type of ideas are pretty much the core of the group. You mentioned earlier that Casapound have uh, you know, taken a few tilts at uh, electoral politics over the years. What does that look like when they try to operate within the electoral system? Disastrous. Uh, <laughs> yes, disastrous, because so far Casapound, as I was saying before, participated both in local and national elections, but so far the results have been uh, really bad. So at the national level, Casabound scores less than 3%, so it's it's absolutely nothing. And also at the local level, while it managed to elect some local representatives, I mean, these are basically too few to matter. So I would say that the electoral side is not the most successful uh, <laughs> political enterprise that, that, that they started. At the same time, I think that for Casabound, running for elections is a sort of, you know, like, it's a sort of symbolic meaning in the sense that what they are showing is that you can be a fascist and you can be in the streets, but you can also try to enter the formal democratic institutions and, you know, like trying to to enter in the parliament at the national and at the local level. So I would say that it's more a communication strategy rather than, uh, and a political strategy rather than, you know, like uh, something the group is investing on to obtain offices or, or policies. It's part of their symbolic politics. You're listening to 3CR, 8.55am, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital on your DAB radio. We are currently talking to Dr. Caterina Froyo about Casa Pound Italia and the Italian far right. You've referred to the innovative practices that Casa Pound have adopted that you think can help explain its relative popularity. Can you talk about what you mean by hybridisation and can you explain how that concept's relevant to Casa Pound and its political practices? So when we speak about, uh, in the book, uh, when we speak about hybridization, we refer specifically to this combination of ideas, but also forms of action that are mediated both from the historical Mussolinian fascism and 
more contemporary forms of right-wing extremism and ideas, and also sometimes ideas that are taken from the left, such as the question of housing rights. Hybridization refers also to the way in which Casa Pound is structured and organized. If you look at Casa Pound from inside, you will see actually an hybrid between a formal political party with a hierarchical structure and some uh, party-like internal organs, but also a social movement. So a more horizontal organization with a series of cultural activities that are crucial to form and socialize basically um, activists politics. Hybridization is very important for Casa Pound, not only for the training and socialization of political activists, but also to communicate to the outside world. Because uh, as, for example, we were discussing before the relationship with elections, well, any time that Casa Pound runs for elections, while at the same time, I don't, I don't know, trying to squat a building, they are basically showing that they are practicing policy politics in different ways, right? The more formal institutional channels, the elections that can be appealing to a specific part of the population, and the most grassroots type of political engagement that instead can be appealing to other to other people. So I would say that hybridization is this combination with, between old and new in right-wing extremism and forms of activism that is used by Casa Pound to appeal to uh, broader audiences. So not only the social movement sector, not only the political party sector, but both. In terms of the Casa Pound's adoption of what would otherwise be regarded as being left icons or practices, I guess it makes me think, and, and in, in terms of hybridization, it also makes me think of within the literature on fascism, there's often references to the ways in which fascist ideology and to some extent organisation is syncretic. It brings together under the one banner or under the one umbrella or one roof, as the case may be, a whole range of ideas that would otherwise be considered possibly non-compatible. So I wonder, how do you compare the concept of hybridisation to uh, the practice of syncretism? It's very, very, uh, it's a very good question. So, I mean, Casa Pound is extremely proud in saying that they are basically, um, that they, they have basically <laughs> included in their way of doing politics, metapolitics. So metapolitics is a concept that was developed by the communist thinker Antonio Gramsci to, to basically explain and, and theorize the fact that in order to do politics and to change things, it's not just through the ballots that you have to go. Actually, in, in Gramsci's original thought, doing politics meant that you, you would promote a series of cultural activities that would help people change the way in which they looked at the world and the way in which they looked at the role of the men inside society. Casa Pound actually uptaken, if you want, this, this type of thought, and it presents itself as uh, a Gramscian on the right actually. And this is why they invest a lot in any type of cultural activities. So it can go from music to theater to other type of activities that in general comics drawing that in general are more associated with uh, with the left. And this also, uh, I mean, ends up 
in uptaking some far-left and left-wing icons. So, for example, some years ago, Casabound ran a campaign on actually against uh, economic inequalities by flyers that were showing the face of Ernesto Che Guevara. This is actually, I mean, one of these attempts that they are making to basically get and uptake some of the symbols of the left in the name of this their specific understanding of an original left-wing uh, political doctrine that was uh, metapolitics. One thing that struck me through reading the book and my broader understanding of Casa Pound is in terms of practices like squatting, in having a musical subculture, it seems to resemble quite distinctly uh, elements of the Italian left, especially the I guess, autonomous or autonomous left and the sorts of practices that they've adopted over the past few decades. And the other question that occurs to me is, what kind of reception has Casa Pound had on the part of the left? Is, is there opposition to Casa Pound? And if, if there is, how does it manifest itself? This concept of syncretism that you were mentioning before informs also Casa Pound repertoires of action, right? The way in which the group mobilizes. And in the way in which the group mobilizes, Casa Pound in the last years has, has tried to emulate far left repertoire of actions in two main ways. One is the most common squatting tactics, and the second one are this, what we call in the book uh, direct social actions. So when we squatting, actually, it's more again a brand way of mobilizing. In reality, Casabound squatted really little, but actually, being a far a far right group that does this thing that is in general associated with the left wing, with the autonomous, and in Italy in particular with the movement for uh, the right to houses for everyone, it is something that made the group pretty well known. But actually it remains really, squatting remains really uh, a marginal uh, part of the total uh, repertoire of action of Casabound and all and of all the tactics they use. During the Great Recession, they have also borrowed from the left what we call direct social actions. So I don't know if you if you saw these images of Casabound supporters distributing food to people, to poor people, and in working class areas during the Great Recession. So this type of direct social actions are uh, born actually inside the left-wing social movements, especially in in context of great economic crisis and in context where basically individuals self-organize themselves to fight against um, economic inequalities. And Casa Pound has done this and it is still doing this. This type of actions, the direct social actions uh, that basically presuppose the direct intervention of a political group in the society by avoiding basically the intermediary of the state are way more common than squatism. In terms of the reception of Casabound from the left, well, in Italy, actually, Casabound is, if you speak about the far left, the far left is in open war with um, Casabound. And actually, there is still a form of resistance from the left against Casabound. So it's pretty common that any time that you have a demonstration that is organized by Casabound, uh, the left basically opposes um, the group. At the same time, the question that remains to be solved is how comes that Casabound still manages to mobilize so many people right, in, in, in different parts of Italy. So the last time that we checked the figures, we found that they have around 10,000 formal members. That is a lot 
for this type of extreme right group. Can you speak to the role that the media plays in promoting Casa Pound? Yeah, that's uh, that's also the big elephant in the room. The media are both, I would say, friends and foes of Casa Pound. They are foes because very often they, I mean, they portray Casa Pound as an extreme right organization and present it as, you know, like a sort of threat for uh, democracy and so forth. At the same time, they are also false because sometimes they tend to be attracted by Casabound ways of doing politics that are pretty unusual, right? Uh, and they tend to over-mediatize, over, give over-visibility to this group. And Casabound, uh, it's very aware of that. It's very aware of the fact that it is a good customer, for, especially for uh, mainstream media. When you privilege sensationalism, then, I mean, you know that if you cover Casabound, you will get something sensational because the repertoire of actions are pretty spectacular. And Casabound is pretty much aware of that. They know exactly that uh, what journalists like they have professional trainings for their activists to explain to them how they should address journalists and how to prepare basically political campaigns. They use agit prop uh, forms of activism in a purposive way. And then also there is, so this is with relationship to, let's say, conventional uh, media, but they are also very efficient in communicating through new media, through social media. In particular, they are very active through Facebook. A bit less on Twitter, that is a more, uh, let's say, institutional and formal social media, but they they diffuse a lot of their content and campaign mostly uh, through Facebook. And with a very professionalized communication style, you know, their, their Facebook posts are short, they give you know, like brief and concise overview of what the group has been doing. So, I mean, they heavily rely on the media and why at times the media are foes of Casa Pound, other times they end up directly or indirectly amplifying their messages because they are often attracted by the way in which the agitprop style of Casa Pound activism. Katarina, in the book, it's written that the non-electoral aspects of right-wing activity have been Uh, haven't been paid sufficient attention. Do you expect or hope that these dimensions will be studied more closely in future? And finally, um, in terms of Casa Pound's failed electoral actions, how does success or failure at the ballot box determine the fate of a group like Casa Pound? So thanks for your questions. Just I, I will start from the second uh, question that you asked, whether electoral success impacts the outcomes and, you know, like the, the perspectives of a group like Casa Pound. I mean, I would say that it doesn't because for Casa Pound, running, into, um, running for elections has more a symbolic value. As I was saying before, they don't get, I mean, they don't do particularly well in the ballots, right? And I don't think that this will change in the short run. But where they are successful in is in showing that a group that is an, an extreme right group can easily travel from, you know, like from the fringes, from grassroots activism to the most formal way of doing politics that is running for elections. And indeed, yes, you are right. In the book, we write that the non-electoral side of far-right politics and of Casabound politics has been uh, largely neglected in academia in particular. And we think that this is, uh, I mean, this is a dimension that needs further attention in the future because it is true that, you know, like elections are somehow a point of an iceberg, right? When you see that you have a far-right party that does 
very well in elections, it means that there is something problematic inside a society, basically. But actually, once for a party to arrive, you know, like at 30%, like the National Front, National Rally in France, there should be something deeper going on in society that perhaps we didn't, we didn't see coming. And this is why uh, with the study of Casabound, we wanted to shed light on this non-electoral uh, side of Casabound and Casabound engagement and activism, because only in this way we could see what type of actions they initiated and campaigns they initiated inside society to broaden their appeal. If you only look at the way in which people vote, right, whether they vote for for, for the extreme right or not, then you will get just one part of the puzzle. Whereas by looking at the forms of activism, the contemporary forms of activism in the far right, you can understand actually that there are different ways of uh, doing politics and different ways through which an ideology like the fascist one can actually penetrate society before uh, a party gets 30%. And also, let's not forget that this type of symbolic politics that Casabound plays is important because it basically uh, contributes to bring in public debates in Italy an issue that is at the core of far-right politics, that is basically uh, immigration and integration. So in a certain sense, Casabound somehow offers a sort of, you know, it's a sort of echo of the most successful anti-migrants campaigns of far-right parties like the League that instead was in government until a few months ago. In reading about Casabound, I was interested to see a few years ago in Marie Claire, a fascinating piece with some fascist fashion tips about the group. <laughs> What's the role of women in Casabound? That's a very difficult question. So. I mean, in Casa Pound, there are many women, first of all, in terms of activists and in terms of leaders. Still, they are a minority compared to men. Their role, actually, in the organization is pretty much the same uh, role that men have, right? So they do everything that, that men do. Where they differ from men is the way in which women enter Casabound. So in general, what we could observe in our study is that when you ask to Casabound activists, men and women, okay, how did you join the group? Why did you join the group? Men very often tend to say that they had some ideas and they wanted, they were looking for a community that was giving voice to these ideas, where they could express these ideas. In the case of women, what we found is that most of the time women were channeled through their male partners or parents or, you know, like si siblings and so forth. So I would say that the role of women in Casabound is basically the same as men. So you don't have this very classic extreme right stereotypical uh, division of labor inside the group. At the same time, where you see uh, much differences is uh, in the way in which women join the organization and the reasons they give to join the organization. Then, of course, Casabound, it's also a very, let's say, communication oriented extreme right group so they know very well that you need actually women to speak about women issues if we can call them like it is so for example they created this small group that is called it's time to be mothers it is basically a group of self-proclaimed feminists in in casa pound that uh, basically calls for you know like social assistance and welfare help and welfare aids to women who are pregnant and who lost their jobs. So I would say that in terms of division of labors, 
in terms of activist tasks, there is not much different, but there is a strategic use of the presence of few female activists by the group to voice on so-called women-related issues. Katerina, you've spoken of how Casa Pound has located itself within an historical fascism. However, there's other aspects of CPI's ideology that are somewhat innovative. And one of those is the disavowal of, I guess, uh, antiquated forms of white supremacy in preference for using terms like ethno-pluralism. Can you explain what that means and why that's important to Casa Pound? That's a very interesting question. So I would say that in general, in this respect, the European far right is pretty different from the Australian, but also the US one, where basically white supremacism has been prominent and it is still uh, pretty prominent. In the case of the European far right, where Casa Pound is located, there has been a big ideological influence by the movement that is called Nouvelle Droite, so this new right movement that was created in France in the late 60s and that basically whose leader was basically the one who theorized if you want the doctrine of ethnopluralism ethnopluralism is a form of i would say legitimate nativism in the sense that basically after world war ii what the new right understood is that you couldn't campaign on white supremacism only right because i mean after the holocaust there were really a few things that you could say in a very blatant uh, way what they understood however, is that they could emphasize actually differences between human beings, but without basically um, supposing that there is hierarchy between human races. This is ethnopluralism. It is the belief that there are human beings are not all the same, that human beings belong to specific ethnic and cultural communities and that these communities shouldn't be mixed. And this is actually the nativist doctrine that informs the campaign of most European far-right groups. And it is pretty different from the US one, where still you find blatant forms of um, of white supremacism, for example. And this has probably to do a lot also with the historical past. You couldn't be blatant about supremacism anymore or about anti-Semitism anymore after the war. So the right, the, the, the extreme right, invented a new nativist doctrine that was called by the French New Right ethnopluralism. Andy, would you like to ask one last question? Well, I have a question. It's a bit tongue-in-cheek, but when Casa Pound and other similar groups talk about nativism and, uh, you know, valuing tradition and, and so on and so forth, one question that occurred to me is how is Casa Pound faring in its, uh, say, war against tomatoes? Because as I understand it, tomatoes aren't of uh, Italian origin uh, but have been incorporated into the diet quite successfully. So how do they kind of... You know, how do they go about distinguishing between, you know, what's native and what's not? That's a very difficult question, um, Andy. Yeah. Uh, how do they distinguish between what is native and what is not? I would say that actually, first of all, you are a native if you are, for Casabound, born Italian from Italian parents. So that's a, it's a very um, ethnic understanding of nativeness. Then there is also, and, and for Casabond it plays a crucial role, the cultural dimension. Basically the idea that not only you are born Italian, but you are born and socialized to Italian culture. 
So there is this uh, cultural dimension that they associate to the ethnic one. And in the name of this association between ethnicity and culture, they, 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 they organize and campaign against, for example, specific religious minorities, Islam notably, because they say that actually the, uh, the, the, the Islamic culture is not compatible with the Italian one. Even if Casabond is not uh, a religious-inspired uh, extreme right movement, but they say that, for example, there are specific uh, dimensions of Islam that are that cannot be reconciled with with uh, the Italian um, with the Italian culture, what they call the Italian culture. So, is this combination between ethnicity and culture, socialization to culture? Well, we'll have to leave it there. Dr. Caterina Freo, thanks very much for joining us. The book is Casa Pound Italia, Contemporary Extreme Right Politics, and it is out through Routledge. And people can also find you on Twitter at Caterina Freo. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks a lot, Kamen. It was really a nice chat. Well, that's all we've got time for on the radio this week. But if you want to hear a few more questions with Katerina, do check out the podcast version of this show at 3cr.org.au slash Pasaran or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We'll catch you next week with our last show for the year. See you then. Women workers answer to COVID. Capitalism created this crisis. Workers can solve it. Like the sound of shorter working hours in secure employment with no loss in pay? A comfortable income for everyone. Taxing the rich? Jobs made public with workers in charge. You women who want to be free, just take a tip from me. Radical Women is launching this winning plan on the 8th of December at 7pm. Join others to take these demands into our unions and communities. All genders welcome. Contact Radical Women at optusnet.com.au. Radical Women is a 3CR supporter. Scare me, I'm sticking with the union.